Welcome to the Product Design Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Coolen, founder of UX Cabin, where we create world-class web and mobile apps. I'm excited to bring you a behind-the-scenes look into the lives of some of the most interesting and talented people in product design. We'll get strategic advice on how they got to where they are today and things they wish they would have known earlier in their career. Hey, what's up? Thanks, everyone, for joining us on the Product Design Podcast today. We have Tom McCormick with us. He is a career coach that specializes in product design and product owners. Tom, we are super excited to have you on here and to pick your brain about some stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to chat about anything and everything related to product. Yeah, this will be great because I know a lot of our our listeners are are folks who are transitioning careers or trying to get into the UX product design space. And who better to have than someone who's helping these folks day in and day out get those new jobs and those career transitions. So, Tom, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. So as you mentioned, I'm a career coach and I work, you know, with primarily product designers, but I've also worked with lots of other fields, data science, data analytics, web development, product management, et cetera. And my career journey is sort of circuitous. I did an undergrad in Spanish. I thought I wanted to be a teacher. I did a master's in teaching. I taught in several different levels, um, including high school. And I ended up feeling like there was a lot of behavior management and a lot of just like trying to force people to learn information. And that was obviously... Not for me, and I didn't see myself doing that in the long term. I have a lot of respect for teachers, and you know that work is very, very difficult, but I was more focused on the applicable skills and stuff that people could put to use immediately. I ended up doing a degree in urban planning and policy. Then I moved to Ann Arbor, Michigan, where I live now, and I ended up falling into a role at a renewable energy training startup, which introduced me to the world of remote work and the world of tech startups. And I was doing, it was a small company. So I was doing a little bit of everything. I was doing student support. I was doing instructor support. I was helping with some curriculum development, a little bit of marketing. You know, I've just got a lot of exposure to a lot of things. I did that for four years or so. And then I got laid off, which is how the startup world goes. And we can talk about that more later on the podcast. And then from there, I got into the world of career coaching. So in my own job search, once I was laid off, I realized There's a lot missing here that I can learn myself and that I can also help teach other people. And that can be a way that I can contribute. And that's what I've been doing ever since. And I've really been enjoying it and just excited to chat about any any and and everything related to the careers and specifically careers related to product. Yeah. So what led you to get into career coaching? Was that like a lucky break that just kind of fell into your lap? Or did you just figure out that you were like really good at it? Or how did that come about? I attribute it to my focus on writing, actually. So in undergrad, I I worked as a writing tutor in my university's writing center. And I got pretty good at grammar and proofreading and helping people think through their writing. And they say that the process of writing helps you with the process of thinking. And so that made me think about like, how do we think rationally and logically and construct an argument? And then how do we present that argument in a way that's going to resonate with folks and going to convince people and be persuasive? You know, that's what we were teaching undergrads in terms of their writing. And that writing skill set then led me to be able to look at a resume and break down 
you know, proofread the resume, but also see, is this having the intended impact? Are we highlighting the things? Are we using the language? Are we reflecting the language that we see on a job description? So I was always doing that for, for friends and I became kind of the go-to. I think a lot of career coaches have this experience where they become the go-to person for like informal career advice. Like, Hey, take me yeah. my resume, my cover letter, because you're the writing grammar person that's going to like pick it apart and find all the errors and make sure I come across as, as professionally as possible. And I also tell the story that I want to tell. So I was doing that for, you know, literally just friends and family here and there. And then I realized there's actually a career path here. You can help people do this and formalize these skills. And once I started on that path, I just kept uncovering more and more that was more interesting to me. And I just kept uncovering new things. And ultimately it led to careers specifically in products, because that's been one of the most interesting areas that I've uncovered over the course of my years in career coaching. And then I started seeing these really interesting parallels appearing where like everything that you do in product design or product management becomes the same thing that you should do on a job search itself. You know, you should understand your users. You should do research. You should come up with hypotheses. You should test those hypotheses. You should have a feedback loop. You should be actively yeah. seeking feedback and acting. And so all of that stuff started to kind of crystallize for me, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's fascinating. So thinking about the product design industry as a whole, what's kind of your take on the thousand foot overview of what it looks like right now and what it looks like to get into product design? A great question. There's a lot of sub questions within that that I can try to unpack a little bit. So I think broadly speaking, it's a good industry to be in and it's a growth industry. I think there were sort of the initial pioneers of UX, some of the, the top companies that we think about, top tech companies, you know, Apple has been investing in this for years and even decades and, you know, a lot of the other big tech companies out there. And then you're seeing the smaller tech companies trying to keep up and realizing there must be value in product design, product research, user research, because all these leaders in the field are doing it. So then they're starting to do it. And, and that's been going on for a while now. And now you're seeing it start to spill out into just the general outside of just tech. And there's just any old company is realizing like, if we want to get ahead of our competitors, we need to understand our users better. And then we need to build for them things that are actually of interest, things that they're actually going to use, things that you know, ultimately everyone wants to make money. So things that are going to be more profitable for us as well. So I think there's that where UX is not just, you know, for the top tech companies anymore. It's kind of like UX for everybody. And you probably see this in, in your work as, as well. And then I also think there's an increased level of specialization now. So initially it was just like there were fewer roles that did more things or they had more functions. And now you're seeing you have a UX research team within a larger UX design team. And within the UX research team, maybe you've got a research coordinator and maybe you have a junior and a mid-level and a senior researcher. And maybe you have different methods. You have quantitative, you have qualitative. And then on the product design side, same thing. You might have a, a design ops team. You might have a design systems team. You might have people that are UI designers. You might have UX designers. So you're just seeing a lot more specialization fields. And then you're seeing it also trickle down to more and more companies. And I think both of those things mean there's a lot of growth opportunity for people that are already in design or people that are looking to get to design. And I think you're seeing the same thing in product management as well, because the two are kind of like cousins from, the, sure. from my perception. 
And then I also think in terms of like the amount of opportunity, because it's continuing to be a sought after function within companies, I think there's quite a bit of opportunity and I don't see that changing anytime soon. If anything, I think there will be more opportunity, but there's more and more people that are becoming aware of that opportunity. So the com- competitive landscape is not going away either. You're still going to have a, a high level of competition for roles. So it becomes about how can you specialize yourself enough and position yourself well for the exact type of role you want. If someone just says, I want to be a UX generalist and I don't really care and companies get the sense that you're there for a paycheck, but I heard UX pays well. That's kind of why <laughs> I feel like that's not a great team plan in a career coach's job ultimately is to say, well, yes, that's true. And of course, at the end of the day, capitalism, we all need to participate in the system. We all need to make money. We understand that, but you need to really hone in on what are the things that I'm good at? What are the things that I like to do? Maybe what are the things that I've done in the past that actually set me up for a, one of these specific careers in a specific type of UX role or in a specific type of company? So you can, you have two kind of avenues you can look at. Well, I worked pre- previously as an accountant, as a bank teller, or I worked in it, literally any industry. And then what are the transferable skills? Or sure. Can I, can I bring this to UX? And then also maybe you have like specific skills. You like working with people more. You like working with data more. You like working in any number of ways. And then you can start to plug that in. When I talk to people in an initial call, I say, are you more on like the research and the theory and strategy end? Or are you more on the UI and the visuals and the branding? And then we kind of start from there and we then we hone it. Sure. That's super interesting. Yeah. I think like when I got into the space, I got in as like a front end developer and it was basically at that point, it was like, there was front end, there was back end. And then there was like graphic design and gra- you know, and it was like, some people were calling themselves UI designers. UX was like definitely there, but not like mainstream. And it's super interesting how there's like, like you said, so many different branches of it that you can specialize in now. And especially in larger companies, to get very specified, like I manage the design system or I specifically deal in quantitative user analysis, which which is really cool to think of like all of the opportunity out there. From my perspective, it seems like there's a lot of people, either junior level or entry level who are trying to get in and trying to get that first job. And it kind of seems like there's a surplus at the entry level but not a ton of senior level talent that are looking for jobs. But again, that's just my perception. I'd be interested to hear from you what your take on that is. No, I think that's spot on, partially because the the field is fairly new. I mean, depending on how you define the field of UX, you could make the argument that it's been going on for quite a long time. But the way it's defined right. now with the roles and the titles, the way they are right now is in my view, is like 10 years old or something. It's very, very new. Like you mentioned, when you got in, it was a totally different landscape. So there hasn't been time for for enough people to mature to that level of mid to senior to fill all the demand that there is now. Because when every company hires, they want to hire at the mid to senior level first, and then they want to work their way backwards. So, you know, the larger the organization and the more established their design practice, the more they're able and willing to take newer talent and develop and groom and mentor that talent for the the different roles. But the problem is that you don't have a lot of companies at that level of UX maturity. And so 
And a lot of juniors that are coming into the field say, like, I really want a team that I can receive mentorship from and I can collaborate with and I can get all of this guidance and education. But those are the those are the unicorn roles and the roles that are the most available. So there's just there's that disconnect in the market. And yeah, it's difficult to navigate. If you happen to be a mid to senior level designer, you can kind of pick where you want to work and pick your salary and be very selective. And it's very much a competitive landscape where the employers are competing for the talent at the higher levels. At the lower levels, because there's an increasing recognition that this is a good field that's pretty fun to work in, there's a lot of rewarding work and um, it pays fairly well, then you're getting kind of a gold brush of career changers that are trying to get into that field. And I think a lot of the the boot camps specifically have tried to capitalize on this and they've capitalized on it pretty successfully, but they've also sold a narrative that isn't universally true. Can you work in UX? Absolutely. And I've seen people from every single walk of life and every background break into UX. So it's absolutely possible. Is it a cakewalk? And can you just like waltz into a role? Absolutely not. And that's the disconnect that as a career coach, you're trying to say, okay, let's break down the things that are helping you and the things that are hindering you on the job search in the eyes of recruiters, managers, employers, and then bridge those gaps. Early on in my work with somebody, that's what we start to identify and evaluate. I basically have a little checklist. Like, do you have a college degree? Yes or no. What's your work experience? What industries was it in? What tools do you know? Et cetera, et cetera. And then we say, okay, these are kind of like your pros and these are your cons. And we're going to try to address the cons and turn them into pros over time. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. The hardest thing, in my opinion, in breaking into the field is getting that first job. It almost feels like after you get that first job, Maybe it's because like you have a current employer. Maybe you're like much more attractive to other employers, but it feels like if you get that first job, it's almost like the degree, the, the safe zone that shows that like you could go other places and, and be successful because you've been doing it at this place for like two years or whatever. So curious to see what are some strategies that you have that you teach your students on how to land the first product design job or their first UX job? Yeah, that's the million dollar question and the one that everyone (laughs) wants the easy answer to. And I do think the blueprint is actually fairly simple. Executing against the blueprint is much more difficult and it takes time and effort. Everyone's at a different stage and you have to set your expectations accordingly. And we can talk about that more. The blueprint, the way I see it is, you know, so that The obvious thing is, of course, you have to be applying to jobs in order to get jobs. So you have to be applying. And there is, you know, you'll hear the phrase, it's a numbers game all the time in career coaching and in any kind of job seeking that you're seeing. And there is some level of truth to that. I've seen people take a straight, what I call carpet bombing approach. And they're just like, I'm playing to 100 jobs a week until I get hired. And obviously that works better for people with a certain background or a certain level of experience. You have to apply, of course. More importantly, you have to network. And I think networking is a whole topic in and of itself that requires a lot more thought and discussion because networking is not just showing up to a conference. <laughs> you could show up to a conference and basically not, you could gain some knowledge, but maybe not like create any good connections that are valuable. So there's like a hierarchy of kind of networking is the most valuable. So you're ideally you're trying to network with individual people in the field that you're looking to get a job in, ideally in the exact role you're looking to get a job in, and you're trying to provide them some value along the way. If you can do all of those things, that's high quality networking. 
Yeah. I think about it like if you, if you come from a sales or marketing background and you think about lead quality, all leads are not created equal, right? There's somebody that might be a perfect lead that's the exact type of like client that you're looking for, the exact type of customer that you're looking for. And then there might be leads that are not at all qualified and they're like missing the mark. And that's how you, you can think about your network. There's people that you can talk to that are like speaking your language and they can be helpful to you. And they're somewhat invested in, in your success too. And that's like the conversation you want to have. And then there's other leads that are no good at all. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Glengarry Glen Ross, but I use this example a lot. It, it's all about the quality of the leads in that movie. And it's like a larger critique of capitalism and sales and things like that. But it's really helpful to think about like the quality of the outreach that I'm doing is then going to influence the discussions that I have and then the, how impactful that is on my job search. So that's the yeah. piece. Just Sorry. to riff off of your, your piece of the, the networking, we had someone on the podcast a few episodes back and she literally said that she got a job that she probably wasn't qualified for at a, at a unicorn company just because she had met and had coffee with one of the, the team leads or hiring managers in the local area that she met up with. And it just kind of created that like foot in the door and kept that person in their mind and like spending time with someone having coffee with them for a half hour is going to be so much more impactful than a resume. No, regardless of how good it is paper versus like human contact and interaction. And kind of like we, we had been talking about before is people work with who they know and, and what better way to get to know people than to have human interaction with them, you know? Absolutely. This is what I preach to the people that I work with on the job search day in and day out. I'm, I'm like, unfortunately, in the modern world of job searching, it's very computerized or automated and there's algorithms and you're dealing with recruiters during doing Boolean searches or you're dealing with applicant tracking systems or dealing with keywords. You have to, to some degree, invest in some of that stuff. But you can circumvent that whole process by having a conversation with a person. I would rather, if someone's going to apply to 100 jobs or reach out to 100 people, 10 times out of 10, reach out to 100 people. Yes. And it's going to lead to better results. And it's it's a really simple premise, but most people have a hard time believing it because there's kind of this idea that you have to apply and that's what gets you the job. And so a lot of what we do as career coaches is try to deconstruct that and rebuild kind of a different understanding of what networking looks like. Because networking is also a less linear path. A lot of times it starts off with a conversation. There's no job. There's nothing that you're actually going to get out of it. But the person like gives you some good nugget of information or they recommend another person or they yes. use like some like blog that they read or they recommend a podcast. And, and then you start to make connections and then you're on their radar and maybe something comes up later down the line or maybe they're then connected Absolutely. to the that you're interviewing with. So you're... You're planting all these seeds that you want to harvest later, but it's, you know, to use that farming analogy, like you don't plant a seed and harvest it the next day. You might harvest it like months later. And that's exactly the timeline is probably similar for harvesting crops as it is the networking uh, on the job search. Like you're going to put in a lot of effort and you're going to see very little out of it for the first couple months. And then you're going to start harvesting. Like we were growing kale in our garden this past year and like, it was months of growing and we didn't harvest hardly anything. And then we were harvesting from like July through December, literally up until <laughs> into the winter. And I was telling my kids like, this is, 
reaping the rewards of, you know, it was, I was trying to create this metaphorical sort of scenario where it's like you invest in something early, you believe in it, you nurture it, and then it starts to pay those dividends. All right. Because like even in the sales cycles of, of processes, whenever I talk with people, rarely does anyone have something immediately that they want to start a project on. If they say they do, they're usually lying and then they go away. But most of the time it's just like, hey, you know, we routinely have needs that you guys might be able you know, like, let's just talk. Let's meet each other. Let's let's be familiar with each other. And I think, you know, from the the trying to break into UX side, just reaching out to someone, you know, a design leader, like a, a team lead at a company and just saying like, hey, appreciate what I've seen of you online. I'm looking to get into UX, would love to connect or w- whatever the case may be. And you've done a pretty low effort to to get you know in front of someone else to just meet them and to just let them know you exist and that's more effort than like probably 90% of other people that are you know out there doing that so as as much as you can separate yourself use a use a side door or a back door that always is going to be more beneficial than trying to line up with the million other people trying to go in the front door I use that exact same analogy of knocking on the, knocking on multiple doors and also just like creating doors that aren't even there. There's like an invisible door that other people don't even know that they can knock on, right? Like that's the real differentiator. Like, but knocking on the side door is a, is a great tactic. Finding the door that no one else even realizes is there is the real high level tactic. That's like, and that's the North Star of career coaching is to create those doors. And, you know, that door tends to be the value creation piece is where you're actually creating something that other people care about intrinsically. And this is like the gold standard in marketing and content too, right? I'm actually putting out something that's really, really valuable. So I play beach volleyball, for example. And like if someone's marketing a beach volleyball training program and they say, hey, we've got a free workout. It's like increase your vertical leap. We've got four free exercises. I'm like, I want that. <laughs> I want those extra inches on my vertical. And I've literally done this. So this is a real example. And then you go out and you get the free tool. And now you're, of course, you know, that's a marketing scheme. So they're getting your email and they're going to continue the relationship and try to upsell you on something later. But it's the same principle on the career search. So whenever someone comes from a marketing background, which a lot of people come from marketing and then go into to UX in my experience, I'm like, time to put back on your marketing. I know you're transitioning out of that field. However, the skill set is very relevant to the job search because you are a product and you can think about like, how do I create value so people see that in me? And then it makes everything a lot easier. And even if you're a junior person, you can create value. I've seen people that just like, hey, I, I listen to all these podcasts and here are the most impactful ones on this topic. And they're just curating information. So you don't even have to be like, a lot of people are like, what do I know and what can I generate in terms of value for you? I'm so junior. And I'm like, well, you're job searching. You could you could tell us which job boards have the best jobs, or you could tell us which articles are the most helpful, or you could find a little, like there's tools that automate different aspects of the job search and you could share those with people. I'm doing a project right now where I'm just breaking down all the different titles in UX and the volume of people that are in those roles. And it's all publicly available on LinkedIn. And Anyone could do what I'm doing, but I'm going to be the one that does it. And I'm going to sort of get the credit for it, so to speak. Sure. And anyone else could do that sort of thing and just pull together. What are all the titles of UX related roles that people work? In? That's just a little research project that you could 
do some searching online, talk to some people and collect the list. And then you would have this piece of content that you, it's more curation than, 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 than creation of the content. Right. And so I encourage that of people quite a bit. And, but it's a, it's a hard mental shift because people are like, well, why am I doing something that's for free and I'm just giving it away and it's not getting me any money. And like, it's not even necessarily getting me a job. And that's where I have to say, trust the process. No, like you have to trust that that blueprint is going to get you a job long-term. And that's like one of the biggest shifts I have to see in someone's mentality before they start becoming competitive for roles oftentimes. Yeah, I think to that end also, it's like getting into product design and UX is such a non-linear path. It's not like go to school for four years and you can throw your resume up and get a job or it's like go do this certification and you can get your entry-level job. It's like there's all of these potential things you can do. There's all of these things that may or may not be helpful. And it's like, you're just trying to figure those out. But I think the core that you have to have is you have to be really excited about doing the work of UX or product design. You have to either love Figma or love research in, in such a way that you would be happy to to do it for free uh, just because it entices you and you it's like a hobby, right? Maybe maybe you have your day job and you're just trying to break into UX. And I think it almost has to be one of those things that it's it's like a hobby and it's fun to do because it can be very easy to get discouraged or burnt out when you don't get the job immediately or you don't know what to do next. And I think there has to be that innate love and desire just to explore and keep doing those things. And then, you know, inevitably those opportunities will come. Yeah, that's very true. And the people that have that, so from a career coaching lens, the way I'm coming at it, if someone has that, then you try to just fuel that fire. So if you're like, clearly, whenever we talk about this thing, you start talking a mile a minute, you have a lot of ideas, it's fun for you. Then you just try to kind of like build their confidence and encourage them to pursue that interest, whether it's a particular tool, a particular skill set, a particular type of role, a particular industry. There's lots of different things that you can leverage there. And sure, um, you have them follow that. If somebody doesn't have that, that's obviously the trickier scenario where you say like, what are you passionate about? What are you excited about? What types of roles are you targeting? And they just say like, you know, usually the answer is like, I just really want a job and I'd like to make some money. That Those would be yeah. the then, right. then you're like, okay, I have my work cut out for me on this one. Like this is going to be a little bit more uh, of, a, of a conversation, but it can also be even more transformative because that person hasn't, for whatever reason, hasn't stopped to think about those things very much. And then you need to build from square one and just be like, okay, let's talk about what you've done in your life and what have you liked and what have you not and why. And then yeah. you just, you scaffold on top of that to the point where they start to have, you know, as a career coach, it's cool where when someone has an aha moment and they're like, oh, I really like that thing, but I never even really realized it until now. And then you're like, okay, that's the little ember that we're going to try to heat up and build into the flame of your job search strategy. Because yeah. when, you're, when you're just floating around there applying to every type of UX job, it's like you said, it's demoralizing and you feel sort of like you're just floating there and you don't, you don't know if it's ever actually going to turn into anything. Whereas if you have like 
you know, Web3 is a big thing right now, right? A lot of people are passionate about Web3. And that's for a separate conversation. I think Web3 has a lot of question marks still attached to it. But if that's your thing and you're integrating yourself into those communities and you're reading those blog posts and you're following those leaders and you're like basically nerding out on that topic, your messaging is going to resonate so much with the people that you're going to interview with or the people that you're going to network with. So it's about finding your, I know it's cliche, but finding your why is is really important. And that's the challenge and the fun of career coaching. It's hard because finding your why is a very personal and philosophical, you know, journey sure. of people. So it's not like, like you said, there's no, it's not linear necessarily, but when it happens for people, it's also really exciting and fulfilling from a career coach standpoint because you're like, you helped kind of guide someone on a path that's ultimately going to be very fulfilling and, you know, yeah, best case scenario, it's going to be life changing. Right. I'm interested to see from your experience, what type of like timelines you typically prepare people for when they're getting into the field and what's kind of like the shortest end expectation, the longer tail end, and then kind of maybe somewhere that's, that's more typical in the middle. Great question. And of course, this is, has to come with the caveat of it depends and the variables, you know, I think when you're starting a job search, the best thing to do is be brutally honest with yourself. And then also if your networking gets some input on your skill set and your background, if you have someone like a career coach that you can talk to, they can help you with that. And a career coach is like a therapist. A good therapist doesn't tell you what you want to hear. They tell you what you need to. And a good career coach does the same thing. They don't, they don't tell you you're great and you're perfect and you'll get, <laughs> they tell you like, here's where I'm seeing the growth opportunities and here's the existing strengths. And so if somebody has what, you know, like a very strong background, let's say you have a deg- an undergrad degree in graphic design, you've worked in a tech adjacent role for several years, and you have a lot of friends that work in tech companies and maybe even as designers and visual skills are strong, right? All of those things right. are true. Then your, then your job search is going to be a couple months. It's going to be, you know, right. one, one to three months, right? So that's the short end of things. If you don't have a degree and you don't have a lot of relevant work experience or maybe no work experience, your network is pretty small or you're just starting to build it and your UI skills are just kind of budding, like you just kind of started playing around with these tools and you know your portfolio doesn't look like all the ones that you see and you admire or aspire to, then your job search is more likely like looking like something like a year. And and of course, this is all subject to how hard you work and there's a luck factor as well. But, you know, so I would say it's like one month to one year is a reasonable timeline and it's sort of a bell curve. So most people fall in that middle, maybe four to eight months or something like that, you know, to, to put it in rough terms. But I think the thing that people are missing is like, they're painting with a very broad brush and they're saying, well, my friend got a job in UX, so I'm going to get a job in UX too. And you're like, well, are you the same as your friend? And they're like, well, no, they have a master's degree in, like, in computer psychology yeah. or something like that. <laughs> and, you know, and then, and they were already working at the company and they just, you know, changed roles and you're like, okay, that's a completely different skill set and a completely different person. So you have to do that assessment early. And then there's considerations like, are you working currently? What's your financial situation? How much rejection are you prepared to handle? How are you prepared to work or able to work? If you're currently right. working at a job, you know, one of the biggest, one of the ironies is one of the hardest 
paths to getting a job is when you're already employed because it takes so much of your time and energy and like a job. It's, it's another cliche. It's very true is a job search can or should be a full-time job. If you're doing all the reading and all the networking and all the applying and all the cover letters and all the customization and all of the content creation, following all the advice that someone like I would give, it's a full-time job. Yeah. And so having a full-time job gets in the way. So I have some people where we have conversations about like, are you in a financial place where you actually leave your job and take the plunge fully? And there are people that have told me like it took that to actually light the fighter under me to do more on my own job search and to give me the time. But there's people that totally. they can't quit their job and just job search for six months. That's a complete non-start. And then there's other people that are in a position where maybe they're living with parents and they have like a little bit of a runway or maybe they have some savings or maybe they can work some kind of a job more part-time, scale back their hours. There's all sorts of different pretty sure solutions there. It'd be interested to see from your perspective what a unsuccessful trajectory looks like and what are some of the characteristics or common pitfalls that someone goes through that might have an unsuccessful job search. Yeah, you're going to have to cut me off because I could talk about this for hours. I have a <laughs> this number, the number one, you know, before I dive into all the specifics and get more granular, the overarching, I would say, characteristic is being passive. A passive job search does not get you hired and it definitely doesn't get you hired quick. So it's, I'm, I'm applying to jobs and I'm sitting back and waiting for the recruiters or the hiring manager, the hiring managers of the companies to connect the dots and see my potential and reach out to me and help me nurture that potential. And that mentality does not work very well. It's also people that are only, even if you're, you're really going hard at the job search. And I see this, this is even more common. Someone tells me I've applied to 25 jobs this week. And I've in total, I've applied to 150 jobs. And I'm like, have you networked? Have you practiced? What's the strength of your portfolio? Are you building content? Are you currently working on a project? All these other things. And they're like, no, I just, I'm applying because that's how you get a job. I need to apply more. And so what I tell people, and this is just back of the envelope math, but I say, if you've applied to a hundred roles, you need to stop and do a little quick assessment and see what your conversion rate is to interviews. And if you're below 5% of phone screens, then you need to go back to the drawing board and improve some other things before you just plow a bunch more time yeah. effort into, into applying. And it might not be 100. Maybe you can get good enough data at 50. But to me, 100 is a nice round number. And it's not very hard to apply to 100 jobs these days with easy apply and all of that on these sites. So only focusing on applying and being passive is a bad way to approach the search. Another thing would be not investing in your skills and not continuing to build your skills is a major issue. It's like, I, I like to use the analogy of athletic performance. There's athletes that are like, I stay training all the time. I'm always ready. I'm always in the gym. I'm always trying to improve my strength and conditioning and whatever it is. And that's what you want to be like on the job search because the interview can come at any time and the opportunity can strike at any time. And so if you haven't been training, it's like, you know, like I said, I play beach volleyball. Someone's like, go play this tournament. And I haven't been training for two months and I'm just like coming off the couch. I'm going to be terrible. And that's the exact same thing with the job search. <laughs> if you're coming off the, the metaphorical couch into an interview, you don't have any fresh ideas or skills, a project you're working on. You're just like rusty. Then you're going to bomb the interview that you were hoping to get and putting all this effort into. And then it's going to further demoralize you and put you into this negative spiral. And I've seen that happen many times. So you get, you have to stay ready and that's difficult. 
because that takes consistency, that takes motivation, that takes dedication. It's just like every poster that has like those words on it, like motivation, resilience <laughs> that you think of <laughs> and it shows somebody surfing a big wave or something like that. Those are all true on the job search. And so you have to find sources of motivation in friends, in family, in, in your networking, in maybe your career coach, whatever it is. So that's another one. And then there's a point where people really go off the edge for me, where they actually start to become bitter about the search. And it's, it's very understandable because the search is a very inhumane and demoralizing process. It's somewhat embarrassing almost at times because you feel like this constant rejection, you get imposter syndrome, you feel like you're getting jerked around. Recruiters reach out and they don't follow up and you get your hopes up. And so there's a lot of negativity that you have to process. And people will start blaming the recruiters and they'll blame the companies and they'll blame the gatekeeping and they'll blame like, why don't people see my, my brilliance or something like that? And worst case scenario, they'll start posting about it on LinkedIn and actually publicly saying these things. And it's hard because I'm like, your critique is accurate to some degree. It's not that like there aren't some of these issues. I would like to see more pipelines for people getting into UX early in their career. And I would like to see more mentorship and I would like to see people paying it forward more. All that sort of stuff is true, but it's yeah. not getting you anywhere on your search. And nobody likes a whiner in any field, right. in any career. It just nobody likes a whiner. There's no success story where someone whined their way to the top. But that's not how it works. <laughs> you, you grind your way to the top. That's how like, you know, I was just watching a Will Smith documentary and I was inspired by Will Smith's story and he didn't whine his way to the top. His method was simply hard work. And I know it's like cliche. And when you just say that to somebody in a career coaching session, it may not resonate. They're like, I am working hard. And you're like, other people are working harder, so I, I hate to break it to you and I don't want to be the bad cop, but you have to keep working harder until you get a job. That's how you know you're working right. hard enough is when you get the job. Right. Um, so I have this philosophy of keep doing free work until you don't have to. And a lot of designers will disagree with this because they'll say like, your work has value. You should be paid for your work. And I, on a philosophical level, I agree with that. Of course, everyone should be paid for their work. And I don't believe that people should be exploited by a startup that's running with all unpaid interns or something like that. Unfortunately, that right. kind of stuff does happen. And I'm sure you've seen that stuff in your work. But at the end of the day, if it's getting you the job, then it probably won't, you're not going to be doing free work for two years. You're probably going to do it for like two months and then you're going to start getting interviews right. and then that's going to lead to a job. I've never worked with somebody who took an unpaid internship, unpaid uh, volunteer project or worked on a personal project and didn't get hired. Like once they start investing in that free work idea, and it doesn't always have to be free. Sometimes it is paid, but you have to be willing, like you said earlier, you have to like it enough to be willing to work for free until you don't have to. And that's what I try to convince people of that, that principle. Yeah. I think that's awesome. And it's such a cool industry where it's like, you don't necessarily have to go the traditional route of trying to get into a big corporation or a company. Like if you are good enough, you can start posting things on Dribble. You can make your own website. You can get involved in Slack communities or just posting your work on Twitter, talking about what you're doing in public and like try to get interest on the freelance side. Try to get work on Fiverr. Try to get work on the upworks of the world. And yeah, yeah, granted, you're, you know, maybe you don't want to be there forever, but like make your own luck, make your own pathway 
that you don't need someone's permission to interview you or to have a phone screen, or you don't have to be dependent on a recruiter to follow up. There's a lot of things that you can do in this to sharpen your skills and expand your your area of luck. Absolutely. That, that idea of making your own luck is something that I say very frequently in my career coaching sessions. And to your point of making your own opportunity and finding these avenues, the one that is often hidden in plain sight for people is their own personal network. And I'm not even talking about a design network or like a tech network. I'm just saying most people, unless they have a very unique life story, have a pretty big network of friends and family and acquaintances, right? So it, maybe it's from school, maybe it's from work, maybe they have a big family, maybe it's a combination of all of those things. If you collect all of those people, it's like basically your Facebook friends. How many Facebook friends do you have? Most people have several hundred, right? Some people have in the thousands. You should be reaching out to every single person you know when you're at the point where you feel like I'm going to make a run right now. I'm going to make my run for you. It reminds me of like the Olympics. Someone's like gearing up. They're like, I have the right skills. Like this is my year. You know, the folks that just competed in the recent Olympics. So when you feel like your skill set's at that critical point where you're ready to make a run at a job and a career, then you're like, I'm going to reach out to every friend and family member and acquaintance that I have that knows me on a first name basis, not people that I like connected with on LinkedIn, but people that truly know me. And I'm going to just lay out a menu of here's here's how you can help me. And here's how maybe I can help you or people, you know, it's like, I would love intros to anybody that works in design or tech. That would be phenomenal. If you have a project that you need done, I'd be happy to do it for free or for low cost as I'm learning. If you know other people that fall into that category, that would be really helpful. Do And then you can even provide a menu of like, you could do website stuff, you could do research, you, know, you could kind of highlight the skills that you have and also like what you're interested in working on. If you send that out to hundreds of people and then they also forward it on to some of their friends, talk about high, uh, high reward on low risk. That, that yeah. message takes you 15 minutes to write. If you're really upset about it, maybe it takes you an hour, you know, to write a really good, well-crafted message. And the, the benefits there can be enormous. And most Absolutely. people I work with on the job search, they simply have not done this. Even after I tell them to do it, they haven't done it. So it's just like, that's part of the mindset shift is leverage what you've got right in front of you first. And then if it, if you strike out and you're like, yeah, none of these, none of these things work, then you move on to, you know, the LinkedIn sure. networking and the other outreach. But that's like the thing that's just golden that's sitting in your lap in most cases. I love that. That's a brilliant idea on a smaller scale, kind of. A, uh, a corollary thing happened as I was starting out after I had, you know, kind of fallen into my first website design that I got paid for, you know, had a really lucky small business opportunity to do one of those, like build a low cost website for, for someone. I was like, this is cool. I think I can do this. And so I printed off flyers and started going all around town and trying to like basically say, Hey, I can build websites. I can do logos. I can you know, do marketing and just giving it to like these little pizza shops and restaurants. And like, the crazy thing is, is the day that I did that, the very next day I got a call from someone. It was a referral. I just went in, gave it to this guy. He was talking with someone else and he gave it to someone else who needed that. And literally like a one day turnaround and I got a referral from someone else yes. for just giving someone a flyer one day. And it's like, there is a humongous market for people who need low cost websites done. 
if you can build websites, if you can do logos for $500 to $2,000, you can rake in all the small businesses in your your local area because agencies or, you know, senior level talent, that's not their market. And you can go clean house. You can get a ton of really good experience on, on, on kind of offering your services out for that type of target market. Yep. I, I recommend that to the people I work with all the time. And that's where it's a mindset shift. It's almost like, do I have the right to ask someone to to work on their website? Like, am I, am I allowed to do that? And you're like, <laughs> I mean, who's stopping you? And they're like, I don't right. know. Like, well, what if they laugh me out of the room and say that I'm junior? And like, you're like, then move on to the next one. There's hundreds of them, you know? So it, that's when you start to uncover that it's more of a individual insecurity or it's more of like that imposter syndrome coming up. It's not that the opportunity is not there. It's that fear of rejection that people have or that fear of like, you know, nobody wants to be embarrassed. Nobody wants to be rejected. And so the career coaching starts to become about addressing those fears. And sometimes people say like, I I give them some recommendation for how to approach something on the job search. And they say, what if this thing happens, right? Like, what if they don't accept that experience as legitimate. I'm like, well, then that's on them. They don't, then that's not the person that's ever going to be able to do anything for you. Like, what if I reach out to network and I say, hey, so-and-so, like, I'd really like to pick your brain. This is my background. What if they say like, you're really junior, don't waste my time. I'm like, then (laughs) then don't waste the time anymore. Then move on to the next person. Because that usually doesn't happen, number one. And when it does, other than maybe slightly hurting your feelings, it just, it doesn't adversely affect your job search. You just move on to the next one. And then for every person that says something like that, which by the way, is extremely rare, the fear is very overblown in people's mind. The, for every person that would say something like that, there's m- multiple people that would be like, yeah, I'm happy to chat and share my experience and see, see what kind of, you know, feedback or advice I could give. Yeah. Um, and it's the same with pitching a business. Like you should just be always pitching yourself to anyone and everyone because sometimes it's going to land and like just the novelty of it is going to land there might be a business that's like we don't have any work for you but we love that you reached out you found us you developed a pitch you learned a little bit about like the product or service that we have and you kind of understand what we're doing and like they're going to want to help you at that point because absolutely like hustle recognizes hustle is a thing that i've learned especially in the startup world and there's a lot of good startup jobs in design we could talk more about the startup ecosystem a little bit, but just entrepreneurial people love to see other people grinding and hustling. And so if you can show just that, even if you're kind of doing it wrong a little bit, like, no, you know, nobody's going to, nobody's going to judge that. Like, yeah, your pitch was like a little cheesy. They're not going to really fault you for that. They're going to appreciate the effort. You know, it's like, it's like if you're trying to get like a gift for your partner, and uh, you get something that's a little bit not what they were expecting or hoping for, but like there was a lot of thought that went into it. They're not going to just like throw it in the garbage, right? They're going <laughs> to, they're going to, and if they do, then you need to move on to another partner. That's a whole conversation. <laughs> but like, but basically they're going to say like, oh, that was really thoughtful. Like, thank you. I really appreciate the effort. And even if inside they're like, oh, that was a little different than I was expecting. They're certainly going to like appreciate the thought that went into it. And that's the same principle in, in the job search. So people are also oftentimes like, well, how do I say the perfect thing? And I'm like, you don't say the perfect thing. You just say the best thing that you can say over and over to as many people as possible. And then it resonates with the right people. 
So a lot of people I work with come from the service industry, right? So my experience in the service industry really helped me empathize with customers and understand their pain points. A lot of people use this narrative and it doesn't always work. There's some employers that are like, show me a college degree. I don't care about your service industry experience. And I'm like, those people exist, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't use that pitch because there's other people right. that have come from your exact same background and that resonates like more than anything. Yep. So you just keep using the pitch that's authentic to you and that you're able to articulate well. And then you find the people that it resonates with. And those are the people that you work with, as opposed to worrying about the, like the haters. I, I keep thinking of the Taylor Swift Shake It Off song because it really should be like the theme song of the job search is, yeah. you know, the haters are going to hate. They're going to say you don't have enough experience or skills or background or you don't, they don't like your portfolio or whatever. I just had a talk with a designer that I worked with uh, about a year ago on the search. And he said a bunch of people he talked to didn't like his portfolio. And they said that he should change all of these things about it. And he like really believed in it. He liked the branding of it. He wanted to keep a certain level of identity with it. And he, he stuck with that. And then the, when it actually resonated, bam, he had a job. Yeah. Um, so there's some level of sticking to your guns. You know, you want to collect and crowdsource information, certainly, but then also like have your own identity and have your own like passion and follow that to some degree. You know, any every cool business story starts with something that's a little bit unlikely or like low percentage chance. And they were like, I thought that it would be really cool to make an electric car. And everyone said it was crazy. And now we have electric cars everywhere. And like there's kind of many business models like that. That's neat to see. And I'm not an entrepreneur, so I extra respect the people who can do that kind of thing. But you can learn a lot from those stories. Sure, sure. I think the other key thing of like this industry is I think a lot of people don't feel like they can do or they're qualified to do work or work on projects because they haven't done it before. They haven't been taught how to do it or they haven't been on a team that showed them how to do it. But like the cool thing is that we can realize is like most of the answers to any project you would do are out there on the internet, on YouTube, on Stack Overflow, on wherever. Honestly, when I was younger and trying to get my start on this, I would get like a, a restaurant that I was going to redesign their website for $500. I don't know what restaurant websites look like, but I would go on to like Dribble, or I would look at other restaurants and I would type in like restaurant website design. And I would pick out five I really liked and I thought looked good. And then I would just start to copy different aspects of them and like, okay, I really like this header. Love how everything's laid out. I'm just going to change the color, pull that in. Or you, you can adapt that for, for anything. It's like, I've never done an e commerce website, but it's like, okay, well, we got all these things like Squarespace, Shopify. Yeah, you know, there's a trillion different designs on checkout flows that you could take and you know rip off on your design tool of choice. And it's it's less about coming up with the original idea and more so solving the problem, right? We have this common need that millions of other companies have had. Who's done it before? Who's done it well? And what can we take from them? Where do I go to find the answers? And I think once you figure out that you can go in and you can problem solve and you can figure these things out, the world just kind of opens up because you don't have to rely on someone to teach you. And you can just say like, I can figure it out. I can go find the answers. I can go source the information and I can get some viable options to produce. You said so many valuable things there that I was trying to catalog each one and it was fun because that's like <laughs> the essence 
That's the essence of career development. And it's not only for the example that you gave is perfect for product design, but it even expands beyond just product design. It's into the actual design of yourself as a product. So you want to figure out how people broke into the industry, go find every bootcamp grad and go look at their LinkedIn and see like, what's their portfolio look like? What did they do an internship? Did they have an additional project? Did they, you know, reach out to them and talk to them? You can just do that over and over and over and collect your own, you know, data and your own information and then just execute against that. So like the same thing that you're talking about with the dribble example of you find the other websites and then you compare and then you take the elements that you like. That's what you do on the job search. That's what you should be doing. I love that that person did that video pitch. I love that that person did a video walkthrough of their portfolio. I love the UI of this. Just talk to those people. And if you're coming from a boot camp background, there's thousands of boot camp grads out there that have been hired at this point. There's maybe tens of thousands, but certainly thousands. And they're number one, they're very willing to chat because they like to pay it forward generally. And number two, they're not getting a lot of people reaching out to them because they're tending to be a little more early in their career. And that's not like everyone reaches out to like the leadership folks, the hiring managers, the the missing demographic is those people that just made it within the past zero to two years. They're the most fresh in this experience. They remember what it was like to be you the most, and they're going to have like the most similar sort of experience that they can share with you. So no, that principle is incredibly valuable. And like the other thing is with design, the answer is always just more research, more iteration and more crowdsourcing. Like you can, you could throw throw someone into any problem and say, solve this. And they could know nothing about it. And like, okay, we're going to start with research. We know that research is the first thing. Understand the problem better. I don't care if you're building aerospace or if you're building lawnmowers, it doesn't matter. That's the first process in the project. And then you start to iterate, you come up with some things and you test. And so I tell people all the time, there's a misconception that design is a creative field and there is an element of creative. And if you get more on the visual and branding side, certainly there's more creative, but it's not really, it's more about human psychology and it's more about functionality and it's more about actually giving people what they want. And this is where I see a lot of parallels between like individual sort of therapy and design. It's like your job isn't to know all the answers to what somebody else wants. Your job is to pull it out of them. Like, what are you really struggling with and how can I help with that? And how would you feel about this and that? And that's what you do in design. It's the same thing. You you pull that all out of your users or your stakeholders or your clients. And then you feed that back to them. It's almost like cheating. It's like, we just get the answer and then we just kind of like, synthesized it for you or reworked it for you or went and read more about that. And then they might be like, we just want our website to look like that one. And you're like, okay, like, let's pull the things that work from that website. And then we give it to you. And they're like, this is perfect. And you're like, I mean, we just did what you kind of said you want. And so like, <laughs> people sometimes, they think that they have to come up with that like really creative idea. And I'm like, no, you just have to follow a blueprint really well and understand that the blueprint, that's important. You know, and if you're doing like understanding the different tools or processes that you use. And if you don't know them, to your point, you can go research them like, oh, I'm supposed to do like user research that's qualitative. I haven't done that. One quick search of the internet and you can find blogs and you can find yes. LinkedIn. You can find like more than you can shake a stick. And I heard recently, I can't remember <laughs> where I heard this comment, but it was the modern world of like coaching and learning and development is more curation than it is content. It's more curation than creation because there's so much out there now. It's just about finding the good stuff and identifying it and using it as opposed to like there needs to be more content. And of course, like 
more more content can always be helpful, but the curation aspect is huge. That's especially from my world of career coaching is like, it's not like there's not enough stuff on how to become good at UI or UX or research. It's just like, what should I actually look at and read? And then yeah. that's like a lot of my job is to say like, this is really good, or this is coming from a person I trust, or this source is, you know, tends to provide good information. And when people admire a certain company, like a lot of these bigger companies have their own design blogs. So yeah, you can just check out their blog and learn from the the leading designers that are working at any big company and see how are they doing design. And then you can just, like you said, steal that stuff and incorporate it into your own design practice. Absolutely. Well, Tom, this has been a super fruitful chat. I've learned a lot. I know everyone who listens to this is going to pick up a few things on their journey. Any last words that you want to give us for maybe those folks in uh, job search or switching careers as a parting word for this episode? I think to summarize a lot of what you and I have already discussed and talked about in a lot of different ways, without making it too cliche, I think the theme of what we're talking about is turn the mirror inward on your job search. And that can mean a lot of different things for different people. It might just be like overcoming some of your fears or it might be being more honest with yourself or it might be getting yourself to a better place in terms of your mental health and your confidence. There could be a lot of different things that turning the mirror inward will do for you, but that's going to then translate into your job search. If you're going to transform your career, you're going to have to transform yourself along the way. And if you are unable or unwilling to transform yourself, it's going to be very difficult to transform your career. That's, I think, the main theme that hopefully people can take from this conversation. Yeah, yeah. I think to maybe throw my own last word in there is like, you have to have enough self-awareness to know where you need improvement, but you have to have not so much self-awareness that you're scared and thinking what people are going to think about you at every single turn. So like know where you need to improve, but don't be so scared and concerned about yourself that everyone's thinking about you and everyone wants to like make fun of you or point out your deficiencies. So it's like the people who have really low self-awareness, they're just going to, you know, carpet bomb LinkedIn and just say, Hey, connect with me, give me a job. People with super high self-awareness tend to just hold everything in until they feel perfect. And you got to find the middle point where you know what you need to work on, you know where your strengths are, and you know strategically who to reach out to and who to network with and what jobs to apply to. But yeah, again, Tom, this has been great. I feel like we could probably talk for another two hours. So much value in this discussion and I wish you nothing but the best. And thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, likewise. I'd love to do it again at some point. And uh, it was really fun to kind of flesh out some of these ideas. I hope that people get some value from them. And thanks a lot for having me on. It was a blast. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today on the Product Design Podcast. If you enjoyed our conversation, be sure and go follow our guests. Let them know they did a great job and you learned a lot. Um, more to come in the following weeks as we bring on new guests. Please hit that subscribe button so that you will get these podcasts uh, and learn a ton about the product design community. Excited to see you next time. Thanks.